from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up is a new left-leaning coalition government coming together in Israel. Yair Lapid and Naftali Bennett announced an 11th-hour deal last night that could be the end of Benjamin Netanyahu's historic 12-year run as prime minister. We'll get more from CBN's Middle East correspondent and bureau chief Chris Mitchell, who will come live from Jerusalem. And, uh, And unable to convince Americans with their often conflicting words and actions, the Biden administration is trying something else to persuade Americans to get the COVID-19 shots. The president announcing a month of action in trying to get Americans to take the COVID shot. He also announced that he assigned Vice President Harris to lead a, quote, we can do this vaccination tour. I'm assuming he hopes it'll be more successful than her efforts in solving the border crisis to which he assigned her as well. We'll talk about it with Ohio Congressman Warren Davidson a little later in the program. And did U.S. funding go to the Wuhan lab in China for the purpose of creating biological agents like COVID-19? We'll talk with Asian expert Gordon Chain here on Washington Watch. The NCAA is taking heat from leftists for not following through on the boycotts of states that are taking common sense steps like prohibiting biological males from participating in women's sports. Why the backpedaling from the NCAA? Well, in reality, there would be few places they could play since so many states are passing these common sense pieces of legislation. The Louisiana legislature is one of the latest states to pass a girls' sports bill. But the governor, a Democrat, has threatened to veto the measure. We'll talk with the bill's author, State Senator Beth Mizell, later here on Washington Watch. And last night, our Pray Vote Stand uh, weekly program was focused on critical race theory. Certainly encourage you to check it out. It was very, very informative. Uh, you can find out more at TonyPerkins.com or PrayVoteStand.org. But one of the messages from last night was for parents to get involved and to take action. Well, one parent in Nevada, along with her son, they're taking action. They're suing the school district, first suit of its kind, over critical race theory. Gabrielle Clark, head of the Nevada chapter of No Left Turn in Education, joins us later to tell their story. The website, TonyPerkins.com, if you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. All right, late Wednesday night in Israel, a coalition of different parties from across the political spectrum, including for the first time in Israel's history, an Arab Islamist party was formed with the aim of unseating Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. In response, the Prime Minister on Thursday via Twitter called upon all legislators on the right to oppose what he labeled as a dangerous left-wing government. With me now to give us the latest on what is happening in Israel is Chris Mitchell, the Middle East Bureau Chief for the Christian Broadcasting Network. Chris, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to be with you. So, Chris, what's the latest there? I know it's late, uh, late in the night there in Israel. What's happening? Well, the latest, uh, Tony, right now is uh, probably have about a, a week, maybe 10 days, uh, before the new coalition government that was formed last night gets ratified or gets a vote of confidence from the Knesset. Until then, uh, really, the the government has not been formed. It needs that vote. And right now, it seems like there will be an attempt by the Likud and Bibi Netanyahu to try to just maybe get one, even two, members of this new coalition uh, to defect and not vote for the government. Uh, Right now, they only have 61 seats. That's That's the minimum necessary to form a government. If one or two of those members will not vote for the government, uh, that means uh, that government won't be formed and Israelis could actually be going uh, to the fifth election in just over two years. It it has been so narrowly uh, divided there where uh, these uh, coalition governments have had one or two seats uh, that make the difference, and so one move can cause the coalition to to fall apart. Naftali Bennett, a uh, really kind of a protege of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, Mm -hmm. um, that's got to create some friction there in Israel. 
A lot of friction, and, and you could say it's the Israeli version of Game of Thrones, uh, 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 Tony. You know, a lot of people have uh, disagreed ideologically, and uh, but also personally. As you say, Naftali Bennett was a protege of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, and they've really had a personal falling out. And really what you've seen over here, uh, Tony, is the fact that uh, really all these parties are getting together. They have widely different views on ideology, the one thing that's holding them together is they want Benjamin Netanyahu to be ousted as the prime minister. And so right now, even if they do get the government, many people don't think that uh, this government will last. Uh, some have said that uh, is, Israelis will go to elections uh, before Americans go to elections in 2022 in the midterms. Uh, what you have is you have parties from the far left, from the far right, and you have, as you mentioned, this uh, Arab Islamist party. And if any one of those disagrees with, say, uh, major issues like what's going to happen with the biblical heartland of, uh, of Israel, Judea and Samaria, uh, this government could fall. It may not last very long if it gets ratified by the Knesset in about a week. Now, Chris Mitchell, if I'm counting correctly, this coalition government is made up of uh, eight different parties. Uh, very diverse from uh, the right to the left, uh, other than Benjamin Netanyahu being uh, a common target for them. What will hold them together so that they can work together and actually govern Israel? Uh, that's the big question right now, Tony. Can they, can they hold together? Uh, we talked earlier today to the uh, former uh, U.S. ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, and he said he's waiting to find out really how they're going to be able to govern. Uh, major issues, as I mentioned, Judea and Samaria, uh, the Merits Party, which is far left, is just, just an example. Uh, they would prefer probably a two-state solution, giving some of back of this uh, biblical heartland uh, to the Palestinian Authority. That's something that's anathema to say Yamina and Naftali Bennett or New Hope and Gidon Saar. Uh, so there are so many issues, uh, including uh, gay rights, including uh, the judiciary, that, that this government could fall. And uh, so that's the ideological glue holding it together is uh, ousting Benjamin Netanyahu. And uh, there's not much more than that putting them all together. Now, I want to go into those issues uh, for just a moment because some of these parties on the left are pushing for what are described more secular rights, pushing back against the orthodox. Uh, what are some of those uh, those secular rights that they're seeking to expand there in Israel? Well, one thing would be uh, the observance of the uh, Sabbath. Uh, you know, the religious parties want uh, all of Israel to observe the Sabbath, to have uh, <clears throat> no public transportation. Uh, there would be, uh, you know, uh, no businesses open on those uh, those on on the Sabbath, and uh, and yet some of the secular Israelis are pushing to expand those uh, those rights. So that would be one main thing for uh, for the religious parties. The other thing is, uh, you know, many religious or the ultra-Orthodox don't serve in the military. Uh, that's been a source of contention for many years here. And uh, some of the secular Israelis would push more for the ultra-Orthodox to serve in the, uh, in the IDF in some form. So these are all contentious issues and, uh, and all meaning that... Uh, that whether or not this coalition uh, government can succeed. Uh, Chris Mitchell, are there some parallels to what has taken place in America? I mean, I've met with Prime Minister Netanyahu on a number of occasions, a strong leader. Uh, I think Israel needs a strong leader. Uh, but obviously in that process, you, uh, you, you put off some people. Uh, he's kind of like, uh, in many ways, Donald Trump that attracts a lot of opposition and, and a lot of people were opposed to Donald Trump, especially in the media and the establishment. Is it a similar situation there in Israel? I would think so, Tony. In fact, uh, the media has attacked, uh, the Israeli media, that is, has attacked Benjamin Netanyahu for many years, much like uh, the media in the U.S. attacked uh, former President uh, Trump. The same thing with uh, part of the institutions, at least the contention of some people that support Benjamin Netanyahu is uh, believe that the police and the judiciary have really come against him. Right now he's facing three indictments for bribery, breach of trust, and fraud. Uh, those, got, those trials have actually started, and, uh, and many people that support Netanyahu, he calls it himself a witch hunt. Uh, that, uh, so this is very similar to what uh, Benjamin, uh, former President Donald Trump has gone through 
exactly what uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is experiencing right now. Do, do you think, Chris Mitchell, what happened here in the United States with uh, this lurch to the left with our government had an influence on Israel? Uh, yeah, to a certain extent, uh, I think I think it did, uh, uh, Tony, and I think the uh, that's probably why you have some of these parties uh, getting together. That uh, and, and Yair Lapid has really been heading this uh, this drive to get a coalition. He was the one that was had the second mandate. Netanyahu had the first. He was unable after 28 days to form a, a coalition. He narrowly missed that just by a few votes. And what Yair Lapid right now is is banking on is. Uh, as we had talked earlier, this Arab Islamist party called Ra'am, their four seats are really critical to be able to form this coalition. Without that, uh, this government wouldn't, wouldn't have been formed. And, and uh, I understand that uh, part of the negotiations with them, they may have a deputy uh, uh, slot in the prime minister's office. Yeah, I think it would be a, a deputy uh, interior minister, and I also they want to uh, – uh, more infrastructure for the Arab uh, parties, the Arab section here of Israel, which a lot of people do agree with. One thing they want is well down uh, south in the Negev. There's been a lot of illegal uh, building by the Bedouin community down there. They want that legalized. So these are just some of the uh, demands that he made uh, while they uh, signed late last night. And, uh, Tony, it was the last day of uh, Lapid's mandate, and really he got it within like about a half an hour to be able to get all these eight parties to sign, uh, which is a really a sign of their negotiations were very, very difficult, and it's really just maybe a sign of how difficult it will be for this uh, coalition government, if it gets ratified by the Knesset, to be able to govern. Um, and, and one other thing, uh, Tony, you know, a lot of people are concerned by the political weakness going on right now and the instability. Uh, Israel is surrounded by enemies, Hamas to the south, Hezbollah to the north, Iran's nuclear program, very concerned about the internal weakness, uh, given all the threats that Israel's facing right now. Yeah, I was going to ask you that question, if, uh, if this is, in fact, a, a moment of vulnerability for Israel, uh, because they've had stability for over a decade now with uh, Netanyahu at the helm. Very much so. And, and even people that uh, do not like or dislike uh, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, agree that he's probably Israel's strongest leader on the world stage. And uh, he's been able to face off uh, Iran for years and face off internal pressure as well as these external threats. And the question is whether or not a man like Naftali Bennett, he has been education minister, defense minister, but does he have the sort of the gravitas to be uh, holding off and, and representing Israel on the world stage, given that uh, there's so many threats and pressures uh, here in the region? Certainly interesting times. Uh, Chris Mitchell, always great to talk with you. Thanks for staying up late and uh, joining us from Jerusalem. Great to be with you, Tony. Chris Mitchell, who is the Middle East Bureau Chief for CBN, a great source of information uh, for you. So check out the website, TonyPerkins.com, and you can follow links over to uh, Chris's uh, daily reports that he provides there from the Middle East. All right, coming up next, uh, the president says you get a shot, you get a shot for COVID, and He'll see you get a shot of beer. Really? Also, putting the vice president in charge of the We Can Get It Done campaign, uh, getting all Americans vaccinated or get them the shots for the COVID. We're going to be talking with uh, Congressman Warren Davidson, who says part of the problem is Fauci and his mixed messages. We'll talk about it next. Don't go away. What is Roe versus Wade and what did it do? The Supreme Court's 1973 decision ruled that abortion is protected under the U.S. Constitution, striking down many state abortion restrictions and severely limiting the extent to which states could write their own abortion laws. The Supreme Court's limitations on states to legislate abortion restrictions depends on the trimester of a pregnancy. For instance, Roe disallows states from restricting abortions in the first trimester, but allows some restrictions on abortions in the third trimester. What Roe doesn't do is require states to have any restrictions. Abortion through all nine months of pregnancy is the default, unless Congress or the individual states pass laws restricting it. That leaves a lot of room for unrestricted abortions. For a full explanation of how Roe v. Wade liberalized abortion laws, go to frc.org explainer. That's frc.org explainer. 
After the recent wave of media censorship, are you struggling to find a conservative, relevant, and Christian platform where you can find out what's really going on? Here at Family Research Council, we believe that Americans have a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. If you're ready to hear the facts that the left doesn't want you to know about, then head over to frcblog.com to check out our latest blog posts. We cover a wide range of issues you and your family care about, all written by our policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview experts. We discuss topics that other media platforms won't, like changes in pro-life policy, current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the bigger picture of the shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, visit frcblog.com. That's frcblog.com. Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible with their Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. This reading plan takes you through the Bible as events happen in history. Laying out the scripture every day in an engaging manner, it is key to helping us stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start reading today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. To Washington Watch, I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, uh, earlier this week, the Washington Post reported that it had obtained 866 pages of emails sent to and from Dr. Anthony Fauci during the early days of the coronavirus pandemic as a part of the Freedom of Information Act request. And according to reports that have come out so far, some of the messages in early 2020 warned that the virus had been engineered, that it was not, uh, did not evolve normally or naturally. Uh, This points back to the Wuhan lab in China. Now, what else was uncovered in this trove of uh, email? Well, joining me now to talk about this and more is Congressman Warren Davidson, who represents the 8th District of Ohio. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Oh, we don't have him just yet. <laughs> let me uh, let me go to this. Uh, before we bring the Congressman, let me go back to yesterday. The president uh, also uh, concerned because the conflict between what they've been saying and what they have been doing as it pertains to the what they call vaccine. It's not a vaccine. It's a shot. It's like a flu shot. Uh, it's, it's inconsistent. For instance, uh, I've talked about this before, but at the, at the president's speech to the joint session of Congress, every member of Congress had been vaccinated or gotten their shot, but yet they still wouldn't meet uh, only 200 in the chamber for the president's message. Of course, Nancy Pelosi, we've talked about this, still requiring that every member wear a mask. So what's the point? Why get a why get this shot? You know, you hear all these people getting sick, and there's certainly no benefit if you've got to still run around with a muzzle on your face. Well, here's what the president is doing now. This is a part of what he had to say yesterday. NASCAR. NASCAR tracks. They're offering vaccines outside playoff games and in races. Major League Baseball will be offering free tickets to people who get vaccinated at the ballpark. And to top it off, Anheuser-Busch announced that beer is on them on July the 4th. That's right. Get a shot and have a beer. Free beer for everyone 21 years or over to celebrate the independence from the virus. So all of these incentives to try and get people to get a vaccine, well, part of the problem, as I said, is the conflict between their actions and their words. Uh, we're, we're waiting to get connect with uh, Congressman Davidson because part of the problem is with Anthony Fauci, uh, who initially in 2020 
now we know, through these emails, had been informed that there was a connection with this uh, virus possibly being engineered by humans, intentionally uh, manufactured. And we also, in this trove of email, found out that he initially said that masks were ineffective. And then, of course, later saying masks were mandated. And so they keep moving the goalpost on this. And so Americans are saying, you know, what the heck? Why, why do this? Especially when you hear these accounts of people getting sick from the, the shot that they get. Why take that risk? Um, look, I'm not anti-shot, not for the shot. Uh, I've had the virus, so I've got the antibodies. I think that's actually one of the best ways because they're longer lasting than the actual shot itself, which, again, is like a flu shot. Uh, They're talking about being vaccinated. I think they're misleading a lot of the people. Uh, But the president yesterday assigning the vice president to uh, a tour. He's going to send her on the road with uh, the, uh, let let me get the right title of this, We Can Do This vaccination tour. And he's sending her to the south because the south has the lowest rate of vaccination in the country. Uh, This has long been a concern, and we talked about this before, where they've been blaming evangelicals that dominate in the South for not getting the the shot that they're pushing. Well, again, uh, it goes to the fact that we have these mixed messages that are coming out from Washington, D.C. All right, I think we have uh, Congressman Davidson now. Uh, Warren, uh, are you there? I am. Warren, welcome to the program. Uh, great talking with you, Tony. Well, uh, let's uh, let's start with um, your call for Anthony Fauci to be removed. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, we created a bill that, you know, uh, Fauci's incompetence requires early dismissal, the FIRED Act. Uh, and, look, I, I get it that Speaker Pelosi probably isn't going to give us a vote on that. But the point of it is it is time for him to be fired. It's probably long past time. But every day there's new revelations that show, frankly, not even just incompetence at this point, but dishonesty. I mean, he came in and spoke to Senator Rand Paul before the United States Senate, made it seem like, what do you mean gain of function? I know of nothing about this. And then he comes out days later and says, well, you know, now we look at emails that say, you know, he was deceptive about, uh, you know, his knowledge about the uh, the origins man-made origins of the virus and the link to the Wuhan uh, Institute of Virology. Uh, he really should not be on the United States payroll. Did, did he perjure himself in that committee? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not a lawyer in the strictest definition of the sense perjury, but I can tell you that to me it seems dishonest. I know at West Point we'd think it was an honor code violation. What was most surprising for you in these uh, 866 pages of emails? I know you haven't gone through all of them, but what was the most surprising? Well, the idea that there were clear uh, references to knowledge about the man-made origins of the virus. Like they were out there talking about cover stories for the wet market. Frankly, he was defending the World Health Organization, uh, talking about President Trump as if he was – you know, betraying our, uh, you know, duty to public health to fund this organization that has provided cover for China instead of getting to the truth, which is what the World Health Organization should do. And and, uh, and and so Fauci's been an apologist for all that, you know, perhaps for motives. I don't know. Uh, I hope there's a good, thorough investigation. But in the meantime, you should get off our payroll. Yeah, I, I, I would agree, and I would think that that momentum – Uh, to support that will build uh, as more people look at what uh, Mr. Fauci had to say. Warren Davidson, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Great to talk with you. Always an honor, Tony. Thank you. And uh, and by the way, I spoke to uh, some folks in the White House that had been in the the Trump White House, and uh, Dr. Fauci had not informed them of uh, some of this information that he had last year. All right, coming up next, we're going to continue to look at this. Gain of function, what is that? Why does it matter? And was the U.S. funding what was going on in the lab there in China? We're going to talk with Gordon Chang, Asian expert and author, next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
Where do you get your news? Do you have confidence you're getting the full truth? If you want to stay up to date on conservative news and are looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged, then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Stay informed with a trusted source. Again, search Stand Firm to download the Stand Firm app. As the political and cultural landscape of our nation has shifted in a concerning direction, it is so important for Christians to be equipped with biblical answers for the difficult questions of our time. That is why Family Research Council created our Biblical Worldview series. With the political left changing definitions to favor their narrative and to push their agenda, at times it can be hard to decipher what is true. That is why we must hold to the truth of the Bible, which stands the test of time. It holds the truth that does not change. Become equipped to stand firm in the face of cultural and political storms with FRC's Biblical Worldview series. This series dives deep into what the Bible says about some of the most crucial issues of our day. You'll learn what the Bible teaches on abortion, same-sex marriage, the separation of church and state, religious freedom, and the age-old question, should Christians be involved in politics? To access this series, visit frc.org worldview. That's frc.org worldview. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, last week, President Biden announced that he had asked the U.S. intelligence community to redouble their efforts to collect and analyze information that could bring us closer to a definite conclusion as to the origins of COVID-19. And they are to report back to him uh, within 90 days. Well, my next guest says we don't need to wait 90 days to get a highly politicized report from people who have gotten it wrong on China consistently over the decades. Joining me now with more is Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China, The Great U.S.-China Tech War. He can be found on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Tony. All right, let's start with this. Um, Gain of function. I want to go back to the fact that uh, it appears the U.S. was actually funding the operation there in Wuhan that was, as you described, weaponizing this virus. Is that true? It certainly is true. There was an authorization from fiscal 2014 um, from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which is Fauci's institute, to Echo Health Alliance, which is a New York NGO. And that money was specifically earmarked to be sent on to the Wuhan Institute of Virology for a study of bat coronaviruses. Now, Dr. Fauci, in his testimony before the Senate, said that it was not used for gain of function. But we do know, uh, first of all, that Dr. Fauci has backed off from that. And also, there have been, Tony, research papers done from uh, the Wuhan Institute with that money. And those research papers described experiments that can only be described as gain of function. Uh, Explain very quickly gain of function for our listeners. Gain of function is when uh, someone takes a pathogen and makes it either more lethal or more transmissible. In other words, to take a natural pathogen and to make it more dangerous. Now, this is indistinguishable from biological weapons research. And that is prohibited by the Biological Weapons Convention, to which both the United States and China are parties. So really what was done in the Wuhan Institute by military researchers, and this we have learned from a number of people, is essentially that they were engaging in military research. And one other factor. In late January of last year, China sent its top biological weapons expert, as she is described, Major General Chen Wei, to head the P4 Biosafety Unit at the Wuhan Institute. 
And I believe, I don't know, but I believe that she was sent there to prevent uh, evidence of uh, a biological weapons program, as well as to clean up evidence of a lab leak, which is what we are really talking about in connection with COVID-19. So why would you send a military officer to do something which was supposedly civilian research? This really looks very, very bad, Tony. Uh, Gordon, we know from the emails that uh, were obtained under a FOIA request from uh, of doc, Dr. Fauci that he had been alerted to the fact that this was not a, a normal virus, uh, that it had been engineered. Uh, the president saying he's giving the intelligence community another 90 days, I mean, do, do you think that the, the administration would actually release the information that would suggest uh, that uh, China had engineered this virus? Are they sitting on this information? I think they are sitting on this information. We know that the Trump administration declassified information on January 15th of this year. That was in the State Department's release. And they obviously have more information because Trump officials have talked about things which have yet to be declassified. So uh, I believe that the U.S. intelligence community now has information that we could use. We don't need, as it mentioned, 90 more days. Um, I mean, the assessment is not important. What's important is the underlying information, because we're Americans and we can figure this out on our own. And really, we need to do this because, unfortunately, we have a president who is not very interested in talking about the origins of the disease. He actually spent two hours on the phone with Chinese leader Xi Jinping in February. And by Biden's own admission, he did not raise COVID-19. This really is wrong. Well, Gordon, if this happened on this occasion, and let's say following kind of the line of reasoning here, let's say there was an accidental release of a virus that had been engineered. What if there was an intentional release of a virus? I mean, should we not know what China is up to? Well, we certainly should. Um, for, there's a number of different issues. First of all, was this an engineered pathogen? Was this pathogen, if natural, was it stored at the Wuhan Institute of Virology? But the most important thing of all is something that we know 100 percent, Tony. We know that in December 2019 and January 2020, Chinese leaders took steps that they knew or had to know would lead to the spread of this disease beyond China. In other words, this was a deliberate spread of the disease beyond China's borders. We know that Chinese leaders lied about the transmissibility of this disease, and they were pressuring other countries to take arrivals from China without restrictions while they were locking down their own country. When they're locking down their own country, they thought they were stopping the spread of the disease. By leaning on other countries to take Chinese uh, passengers, they knew they were spreading the disease. Yeah. So this was an incident, I believe, of mass murder, because as of today, we have more than 3.5 million people around the world have succumbed to this disease, including 596,000 Americans. Gordon Chang, thanks for staying on this topic and holding our government uh, accountable, uh, for which they, uh, they should be held accountable. Gordon Chang, thanks so much for uh, joining us. And, folks, we'll continue to uh, track this as more information becomes available because when you look at what China, they're the ones ultimately accountable, but this administration very friendly with China. And we must hold our government accountable, our government officials, so they'll hold China accountable. All right, don't go away. The NCAA backpedaling a bit. Why? We'll talk about it next here on Washington Watch. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch on the American Family Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, and independent Christian radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. Since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 60 million people are now missing from our country due to legalized abortion. Public opinion, our knowledge of law, and scientific advancements demonstrate that Roe should by no means be considered settled law. Roe is an abomination in our country's history. 
and it's time for the horrendous practice of legalized abortion to end. To learn more about the legal, historical, and cultural reasons to overturn Roe v. Wade, go to frc.org slash Roe. The Equality Act sounds like good legislation and something that ought to have bipartisan support, but it doesn't. Why? Because the Equality Act, paradoxically, would spur inequality. It is Trojan horse legislation that would hinder equality and would massively overhaul our federal civil rights framework. The stated purpose of the bill is to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. The real effect of this bill would not be to eliminate discrimination, but to erase the freedom to hold a different opinion. The Equality Act would mandate government-imposed inequality by requiring acceptance of a particular ideology about sexual ethics, while leaving no room for legitimate public debate. Simply put, the Equality Act mandates an anti-life, anti-family, and anti-faith agenda throughout federal law and would be a disaster for all Americans. To learn more about the inequality of the Equality Act, visit frc.org slash Equality Act. Since June of 2015, over 12,000 Christians have been killed in Nigeria. This violence has reached a point at which experts are warning of a progressive genocide specifically targeting Christians across Africa's largest and most economically powerful nation. Yet this violence often goes unreported in the media, and if reported, is seriously downplayed. To learn more about what is actually taking place in Nigeria, along with other countries where Christians face persecution, visit frc.org slash Nigeria. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the biggest abortion supplier in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed 354,871 abortions in fiscal year 2019, up by over 9,000 abortions since 2018. According to these numbers, Planned Parenthood aborted 972 babies every single day. To learn more about what Planned Parenthood is really doing, visit frc.org slash Planned Parenthood facts. I'm Tony Perkins, and you are listening to Washington Watch. And uh, once again, we're broadcasting uh, live from Southern California from his channel. Check him out, hischannel.com. All right, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the NCAA had uh, earlier in the year rattled their saber, so to speak, a little saber rattling, threatening to pull out their tournaments and championships from states that dare protect women's sports from biological men. Well, the left is now complaining because the NCAA did not follow through on their threats. Why? Well, because too many states have been passing these common-sense pieces of legislation. In fact, on Tuesday, Louisiana's Fairness in Women's Sports Act was sent to the state's Democratic governor after it passed the Senate last Thursday by a 78-17 to 17 bipartisan vote. Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards has 10 days to take action on the legislation, which, among other provisions, makes athletic teams or sporting events designated for females, girls, or women only for open only to students who are biologically female. While the governor has previously called the legislation unnecessary and discriminatory, the bill's sponsor, State Senator Beth Mizell, hopes he will see the overwhelming support both in the legislature and in the public and sign the bill. She joins us now outside the House Educa- the Senate Education Committee in the Louisiana legislature. Senator, welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you, Tony. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thanks for stepping out to, uh, to join us. Uh, this bill passed by two-thirds majorities in both the House and the Senate, so it's, it's really a veto-proof vote uh, if the timing works. Well, if the timing works and if there's not a fear of the governor taking funding from uh, legislators' districts. So it, it's a little bit of a different scenario than voting for the bill. I mean, we had such strong support. I, I would hope the governor would look at um, the representatives to the state of Louisiana speaking out loudly for their constituents uh, on both sides of the legislature and, and hear that you know loud and clear and not veto it because it's something people, I believe the last poll was 83 percent of the citizens of the state support a protection for women's sports. So uh, I, anyway, I'm hopeful that he'll hear that and um, the legislators won't be forced into a, a, a veto session where they have to vote uh, with the fear of losing um, 
you know, the governor's uh, right. budget pen, right? Every state is different. I happen to know the way Louisiana operates a little bit better because I spent uh, almost a decade there in the legislature, and Louisiana has a very strong executive controls a lot of the budget allocation and so what beth is making reference to is that um, if you don't go along with the governor your district doesn't get any money and when i was in my government my uh, district didn't get a whole lot of money uh, because i voted <laughs> against the governor's taxes and, and other things like that but this is the support was overwhelming for this has is there any word that the uh, the governor has been lobbying legislators on uh, sustaining a veto yeah. No, I, I haven't heard anything of that. I know there's some uh, movement to uh, uh, work with, you know, to work with him as far as some bills that he'd like support with uh, to to not veto the women's sports bill. So, you know, there's there's some uh, movement around uh, behind behind the doors trying to uh, protect that bill from being vetoed. And like you said, I heard you say uh, before I. Uh, was on the call that um, the NCAA. I mean, where are they going to play ball? I mean, they they there's too many states standing up for women's sports um, to to basically boycott all the states that that have put this into effect. So I'm hoping he'll realize that because I think what he wanted to um, to use was the economic uh, problem, and that's and that's apparently not going to exist. Right. I, I read where New Orleans tourism officials have said the legislation could damage the state's economy, sports leagues, business groups, and other uh, conventions would show a willingness to boycott the state. But what we have found, uh, Senator, from other states like North Carolina uh, that, and Georgia, that, uh, you know, if you if you hold your positions, they ultimately realize they cannot defeat you. And uh, North Carolina continues to have one of the strongest economies in the country with more and more people uh, moving in, more businesses moving into the state. So that uh, that excuse has been used many times, and it's it's really worn out. Uh, I think people appreciate the stand that you're taking and doing what is right, not what, uh, you know, the business community that has been consumed with this wokeness is calling for. <laughs> well, I think it, it goes back. I'll have discussions with colleagues. I don't know when it became popular to take away opportunity from one person and give it to someone else. I mean, that that's not the way opportunity is supposed to work. You know, you create your own success story, not by taking it from a generation of women that have worked really hard to get to the level of athletic ability that they've reached. And to pull that away in, 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 in such a way, it, it makes no sense to me. So uh, that was that was the um, premise for the bill that we stood by because that was exactly what, in my mind, the bill was about. Um, women have worked really hard to get to uh, a scholarship level and to have uh, that taken away by someone who is biologically uh, different and, and, and more physically able to outrun a woman it's it just it's it's not the way things should be working. So I think my colleagues, in a bipartisan way, Tony. I mean, we we had it in both houses of bipartisan support of the bill, and I think it was clearly you know standing for women. So that's um, that was the message, and I think people understood it that way. It was not um, there was nothing uh, discriminatory in the way that we approached it. Uh, Senator Mizell, final question for you. Uh, what, if anything, can uh, folks in Louisiana, we've got a lot of listeners in Louisiana, what can they do to help you out at this point? I, I think let their representatives or senators know so that if we do go into a veto session, uh, they, they know that they have support back at home to, to override that veto. I'm, I'm hoping we don't get to that. But in, in the case we do, we're going to need some strong resolve to support the legislators taking a hard stand. It's never, you know, I think what, there's been one veto override. Right. I, I, I had never even been told that. So I'm, I'm hoping we don't go there. So uh, it's very difficult. That, I think, yeah. And I think for uh, folks over here to know that their folks back home back them up is, is going to mean a lot when they get to situations like that. All right. We'll certainly do it. We'll encourage people to uh, to call their legislators. Senator Mizell, thanks so much for uh, joining us today, and uh, and thank you for your hard work on this. 
Well, thank you. Take care, Tony. Come back to Louisiana. I certainly will. Senator Beth Mizell of uh, Louisiana, the author of the girls' sports bill there in uh, the Bayou State. All right. Uh, and by the way, if you are in Louisiana, you can call your state legislator. I think uh, I think the number is 342-6945, area code 225, if I recall correctly. 342-6945. If it's wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, doing that by memory. But you can call your state legislator and, uh, and, and encourage them to stand with women's sports. And, uh, and not yield to the pressure from the left or from the, the governor. All right, last night in our Pray Vote stand, uh, and I encourage you, if you didn't see it, to uh, check it out. You can go to TonyPerkins.com or just go to PrayVoteStand.org. But we talked about critical race theory and lots of good information in that. But one of the things that was a focal point of almost all of our guests was that we needed parents. Parents had to take a stand on this. Well, uh, I, I want to bring you uh, a parent who is taking a stand along with her son uh, and actually filing a lawsuit against the school district in Nevada uh, for forcing this. And actually, uh, well, I'm going to let her tell their story. Gabrielle Clark, she heads the Nevada chapter of No Left Turn in Education. Gabrielle, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. Let me just ask you to tell the story for our listeners. What took place with your son? Well, he was taking a and he was required to list his identity and attach identities and of oppressor or privileged. And that was wrong. I mean, that is a violation of his civil rights, and we took action. And I understand that uh, he did not want to participate in this, and this affected his uh, his grade uh, because uh, you said, hey, we're not going to participate in this. Initially, they tried to um, give him a failing grade for not participating in the class, and that would have um, eventually caused him to uh, – not graduate, but they have since changed course on that position, and they've allowed him to opt out of that class, and thereby allowing him to graduate. But, but you've you not know, stopped. This, <laughs> this whole situation should never have happened. So we're pressing forward because we want this adjudicated. What are you hearing from across the country, or are you hearing from other parents? At No Left Turn, we hear from parents all over the country. Because our situation is not unique. Um, our situation is happening all over the country in every school in America, no matter whether you go to a private school, public school, charter school, parochial school. It is happening everywhere. And parents just don't know what their children are being exposed to. And at No Left Turn in Education, we get those cases and we get those parents and we find them help. What has been the response uh, from the local school in interacting with the school uh, officials? Well, initially, like I said, they wouldn't give us any relief. And so we had to um, take action. And ever since then, we've been powering through to make sure that this um, that, our, that my son gets justice and that uh, this doesn't happen to any other children. What would you, uh, Gabrielle, what would you recommend or say to other parents? And number one, what do they need to be looking for and what conversations do they need to be having with their children to determine whether or not this is happening in their schools? Well, unfortunately, um, this is something that you probably can't get from your children um, because these are they're in, these these schools are in positions of power and authority and your kids don't know that they're not that they're doing something wrong. So it, it doesn't seem like it would be wrong to a child. So you don't know that this is going on until you get FOIA requests to find out where the curriculum is coming from and what is being taught exactly in the curriculum unless you look at it. And um, they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on this kind of curriculum all over the country, in your school districts and in your schools.
So you look on the No Left Turn website, and it there's there are um, there are ways to find buzzwords, and there are ways to get FOIA requests to find out exactly what is going on in your school. Uh, Gabrielle, it's amazing to me. You know, I remember the days when a parent would just go down to the school, have a conversation with the teacher. You would just ask, hey, how, how's, how's Junior doing? Uh, what's he studying right now? And the teachers would, uh, you know, willingly have that conversation. The fact that you have to use a legal means, uh, first, just a FOIA, I mean, that's, that's actually legal, requesting a Freedom of Information Act request, having to use that to get the information about what your child is being taught is the first indication that we have a major problem. We do have a major problem because these people are doing this under the cover of darkness. And they're also doing it um, knowing that even if you find out what's going on and even if you complain, that chances are you're not going to do anything about it because you're afraid. Well, well, you need to stop being afraid. There's There are parents out there who have these kinds of things going on, and you need to fight for your children. You need to get in there and make sure that those schools understand you and understand that this is not acceptable and that you will push on them. Gabrielle, do you see uh, in your communications with uh, parents that are concerned, do you see parents beginning to collaborate, come together, and, you know, we're, we're stronger together than we are individually, and as you said, fear is a big factor, but there is uh, strength in numbers. Is that happening? That is happening all over the country, Tony. We at No Left Turn in Education, we believe in, in in education, not indoctrination. And we are pushing that message all over the country, and we are receiving all kinds of support. We have uh, chapters in 20-plus states, and um, if there isn't a chapter in your state, then get in touch with us, and we will start a chapter in your state. You can go to noleftturn.us. And if you do find yourself in a place where you are too afraid, you're afraid of being canceled, you're afraid of your children being um, retaliated against, then please support those of us who are fighting. Mm -hmm. Because we mean, one of the reasons why fighting is so difficult is because they make the expense just enormous. Right. I mean, for your requests, I think one of the parents uh, had to spend seven hundred dollars on FOIA requests to get to get the, the information that she wanted, and you have to be so specific. Then right. you have there's so many barriers that have to be crossed. You're absolutely so, right, Gabrielle. We're going to have to leave it there. We're out of time. I'm going to encourage people to check out your website and uh, make uh, use of the resources that you have available. Thank you for standing up, and uh, as we say. Courage breeds courage. Thanks for being courageous. Thank you so much for having me. And, folks, thank you for joining us as well today. I want to encourage you to check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. And do exactly what Gabrielle said. Stop being afraid and stand up. Stand up for your children. Stand up for what you know to be right. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.